And then we went to our first tournament. It was a disaster, yelling, <laughs> yelling at each other. <laughs> Is there video footage of this? It was like, you know, like we did it right well. It's your fault. He lined me up there. I mean, it was painful. And welcome back. Welcome aboard another park train. I'm one of your co-hosts, Evan Singer. Matt Cermak is with me. What's up, Ev? Good to be back. Are you fired up? Always fired up. But you want to talk about a great episode. This was What did we both do? We did. Wow. <laughs> we did right after. This was a special, special episode. But before we get to that, if your golf game is off the rails, you're sick of riding the stroke bus, you come to the right place. The part train helps frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. We unpack the mental game with PJ Tour pros, best-selling authors, CEOs, sports psychologists, everyday golfers, world champion, national champion, blind golfers, and his dad, his guide today, their team, and more to make the hardest game in the world feel easy and help you finally get back on track. This episode of The Part Train is presented by Rowback Activewear, our favorite hoodies, polos, stretch t-shirts, joggers, shorts, in the game. Hats. Hats. You go to rowback.com. Enter the code train, get yourself 15% off or go to our bio on Instagram and tap that link in our bio and you'll get 15% off auto applied in your cart. So thank you to Roback as always. I'm literally wearing it for every show that we record and basically everything, any activity a, I do in my it, life. So it's a tradition unlike any other. Yeah. We always have Roback on for every show. <laughs> yeah, it, it actually is. That's true. So thank you to Roback and thank you guys for hopping aboard another train. Okay. This episode was very special because Jeremy points to know uh, nine time United States blind golf association, national champ and three time world blind golf champ. They just won their ninth national champ recently. We thought it'd be really fun to have Jeremy and his dad on. So as a yeah. blind golfer, yes, that is a thing. You have a guide who's also your caddy, but also your guide. So Jeremy gets over the ball. They'll walk you through the routine, but essentially um, you get lined up, you discuss the shot, they're helping you aim, and then boom, it's the ultimate team game in an individual sport like golf. And I think this episode not only will it inspire, provide perspective, but it's such a great example of how we should have our relationship with ourselves, which we talk about a little bit, right? Because yeah. The way that we vocalized on the course is really powerful. I mean, you can't beat these episodes, right? Of the we get it's player caddy, but with Jeremy and Leo, father Leo son, a, you know, father son, and you know, a little different kind of caddy, right? He's got to do more legwork each shot for Jeremy, and to have them talk through their process, the ups, the downs, what they've learned, what works, what doesn't work, personalities—it's incredible. And Jeremy being, you know, really the best, best at his craft. I mean, what not, we'll call it nine U.S. Opens, three British Opens. He's won. Yeah, this was great. And like we said, Ev, we had him on before, and we always love these part two episodes. And then especially bringing his dad on to really, you know, go through his game, their process, their routines. Uh, I think as a listener, you can take so much from this. I certainly did. A lot about commitment. I love the putting talk. Mm -hmm. You know, really got into some short game stuff. It's inspiring and it's just, it's just very fascinating too. So what a thrill. These are really special episodes for us to bring folks on like that. Yeah. I think it's going to be impossible to listen to this and not feel, not feel good. 
You're going to feel so good after listening to this. It's going to yeah. remind you and provide a bunch of perspective and it's going to help you with your game because if it's helped Jeremy go from depression and five stages of grief with losing his eyesight at, as a 19 year old in college as a three handicap to now finding his place again in the world with this, this challenge, not just and not just finding his place, finding true joy, true joy. He says at the end, if he could have his sight back, he would decline it because of the experiences and, he's been able to have, especially with his father. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's the best. It's yeah. just so, so cool. To, if you've ever gone this. through anything, listen to this episode. If Jeremy can get through what he went through, we certainly can with whatever we're going through. So thank you to Jeremy and Leo for hopping aboard. Thank you guys for hopping aboard. Thank you for listening as always. Uh, if we've added any value, Give us a review at Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It means the world. No matter what's going on out there, what's going on between your ears, how challenging it might feel, how much frustration you might have, what do they got to do, sir? Just enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride, guys. Take care. Thanks, guys. And we're back. I think maybe, sir, keep me honest. Is this the first ever father-son duo think, we've had on the show in six I years? I think it is. I'd like to welcome Jeremy and Leo Poinsano aboard the train. Welcome aboard the train, guys. Hey, guys. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you. So I just want to caveat before we dive in. Jeremy, you have an amazing story. You've done plenty of podcasts and interviews. I just want to say to our listeners, if you want more of the backstory, if you want to know more of what it was like when Jeremy was, I think it was 19 and you were in college and your sight started to deteriorate quickly and your whole life changed. I really think you should maybe go back and listen to episode 149, maybe before we dive in, in here to get more context. Cause I think we're going to dive into more current day, take us through the tournaments, how it's like as a father, son, caddy duo playing, you know, these blind golf championships. So I just want to caveat with that because I think it's important and I think the context is helpful. That's one. Two is I want to know, we were kind of talking about it off air. Who gets more nervous down the stretch? Leo Me. or Jeremy? <laughs> father or son? Oh, I think it's a father. I'm just, every shot, I'm like, it, it, and it's it's a problem in a way that a lot of time, you know, he makes a shot that's not, that's, if he makes a bad shot, I'm like, oh, and he doesn't want me saying this. He wants me to be quiet and everything, which is hard because I'm emotionally involved. Mm. Yeah, it's 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 a little hard. <laughs> yeah, Jeremy it's, it's doesn't want you to react. Right. Yeah, I don't want him to react negatively to bad shots. I, I'd rather just go move on and hit it. But mm. I'm, you know, it's in golf. You just kind of stay in your own bubble. But when your bubble includes your dad, who's emotionally invested in every shot, it's it's an interesting dynamic. That is interesting because usually we're reacting ourselves, but Jeremy, you don't get to see where the ball goes. So you're kind of relying. That's an interesting dichotomy of you want to maintain in a good mindset, but that isn't necessarily in your control if the way dad reacts impacts that. So that's a really interesting relationship there. Big time. Yeah. I'm trying to stay in my zone, trying to stay calm, cool, and collected. But even as a blind golfer, when I make impact, I know I pushed it and I know it's probably fading as well. So it's not near the target. And so when I can hear him after I hit it, like, oh man, that's when he just has some sort of negative reaction, it compounds, I guess, how I'm feeling internally. Yeah. 
I want to ask both of you, help our listeners understand the difference between playing a regular golf round right out at your home course and then a tournament round. Now we always battle this, right? We play great in our regular rounds and we don't play great in our tournament rounds and we need to find the learnings of that, but maybe share with us the difference in those experiences. We'll play together, the two of us all the time at my home course and he'll play his ball and we'll both play my ball. So we'll, we'll play as a twosome and get out there and, you know, if I've got a three footer, we won't grind on it as much as we would in a tournament round, but I want to treat it like it's a tournament round. Meaning like, I don't want him to have a negative response in those moments because I don't want it to be okay then. And it bleeds into tournament rounds. And I don't want it to be like, well, it's okay because it's not a tournament round, so we can treat it differently. It doesn't mean I'm going to spend as much time as I would in a tournament round. I'm not going to slow anybody down. But when we get to the tournaments, he's not playing his ball anymore. We're both focused on my ball the whole time and just go through our process, do what we can do and put everything out. And it's obviously more pressure, more tense. You don't hit a solid shot when you're just playing the two of us at the home course. It really doesn't matter, but you do it in a tournament. It's, it's a whole different experience. Sure. I do think it would be helpful. Like I said, episode 149 gives all of it, but I think it, we do need to give some context on yeah. your site ability because last time it was really eye opening. where I think I had a misunderstanding of someone that's legally blind. I thought that meant it was pure darkness. You couldn't see anything you can see in your peripherals. I think last time you said basically put two hands in front of your your eyes in front of your face that's essentially what you can see so give some context on how your dad and you have to play how does this process work take us through your routine so as we're talking through things the listeners understand how you have to play as a team yeah so a minority of people who are blind or legally blind are are totally blind like that you have what we call the B1 category. Those are the people who are totally blind. You have the B3s who are legally blind, but have better sight than what I have. And I'm a B2. And what we do is, you know, my dad is way more than a caddy. He, you know, he's my eyes on the course. He does so many things. We're very much a team out there. But what we'll do is we'll step up to a par four, let's say it's 400 yards. I'll tee it up and We'll already know we'll have played a practice round and discuss what we're hitting off the tee. And if, if it changes from that, we'll have that conversation beforehand. But let's say I'm pulling out driver. I do my practice swing. We point in the direction we want to hit the shot. I step over the shot. It's a little bit like a video game in real life. And from behind, he's telling mm-hmm. me to go right or left, depending on where my feet are lined up. Uh, he says good. And sometimes he'll come check the club face. And then if that's good, then he's, he says good. And I pull the trigger and we do that onto the next one, onto the next one. We have different stuff for chip shots and different routines for chipping or putting. We just kind of go through that process throughout the round and do the best we can. And the process has evolved because at the beginning, I would describe the hole. There's water on the right, traps on the left. And after a while, I said, you well, I don't really need to know that. I don't see it. So <laughs> I don't want to hear the bad stuff. Probably a perk right? of being, you know, visually impaired. <laughs> I don't see the hazards. So right. I, don't, I don't tell them a lot of that stuff now. That's funny you say that, Leo. That was going to be my follow-up question. What's your most common miss, Jeremy? That's a good question. And it's an, a question mm-hmm. I probably don't know the answer to. It's probably a good thing that I still don't know. I play a baby <laughs> cut with the driver, and it's like we try to line up for a 5- to 10-yard cut, 
Mm-hmm. And I guess the bigger miss would be cutting 20 yards, but got it. I don't step over the tee with too much fear. Yeah, he usually doesn't need it left. It's either straight or a fade. So okay. All right. So let's take this and get, do a little example for the listener. So let's say, Leo, you see it's a 350 yard par four, actually 400, let's say. There's water right, about 20 yards right. There's water. You know that that is potentially Jeremy's missed tendency. What do you tell him? What do you say to him for that hole? Well, you know, I, I wouldn't tell him the water is on the right. I would say, okay, the safe side is the left side. So he's probably going to know there's something there. But I'm going to tell him, okay, a safe side. So I'm going to let you a little more left to give you more room to the right. So I might even line him up, who knows, on the rough on the left you know, sure. past the left edge without telling him that. And I can tell him after, well, you're in the rough because I really line you up there, but you hit it straight. There was no fade. But yeah, that's probably the way we present it. And I think there's a perk to like, I'll play, we'll play a practice round. Like I, there's ne- we've never played a tournament round on a course. We didn't play a practice round ahead of time. So let's say we'll do that. And in the practice round, I'm in the rough. And then we drive up there and, and with my limited sight, I can see a lot of blue to the right. And I'll say, okay, I see what you did there. I think that's smart. And I think in the tournament round, we should do the exact same thing. And I'll step up to that tee, maybe knowing that there's water right at that point, but I'll trust his line. I'll put the same swing I'll put on it and just kind of say, if it bleeds five, 10 yards, great. But let's just make sure that that's kind of the max. Really, really simple. Leo, I want to go back a little bit. When you decided, well, when you both decided to go on this journey together and you were going to become essentially a caddy, but a little more than that. I mean, you're part Steve Williams, you're part Bob Rotella and you're part <laughs> tour guy, right? Cause you are showing Jeremy along. Right. Um, how did you, I mean, it's a big, it's a big responsibility. Obviously you guys are having fun, but you know, you, you wanted to do this really well. How did you go about starting that process? And what did you have to learn to become effective at what you do? It took a while. I mean, uh, first, there's a couple of videos you can watch to see because I didn't know anything about guiding a you know blind golfer. So a couple of videos, okay. And then there's some rules that are special for blind golfers, meaning that the caddy can stay behind on the line of uh, flight. So, and then we went to our first tournament. It was a disaster, yelling, <laughs> yelling at each other. <laughs> Is there video footage of this? It was like, you know, he would hit it right. Well, it's your fault. He lined me up there. I mean, it was painful. But after, you know, several tournaments, we, we got our routine. And it's it's actually a lot of players now are saying, oh, man, you guys have good, you know, good routine. You Because know? the other thing is we noticed a lot of players, they change caddies over the years. And we've been doing the same thing as a team for over 10 years, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, well over 10 years. So yeah. we're a well-old machine. <laughs> So yeah, we, like you said, we were, we've refined yeah. it a lot. I played in the Pro-Am at the Farmers Insurance Open in 2011, <laughs> Tory Pines. First sure. team we get there and he's lining me up and he goes, shit, these fairways are tight. <laughs> and that, like, I thought they were one yard wide and I went hit, and I don't think I hit a fairway the whole front nine. Cause, and he's like, oh, and uh, the whole time we're in the car, I'm like, you screwed me, man. <laughs> I, I think I would have felt a lot more comfortable over the T-ball if you didn't say that. I know. As I said it, I'm like, oh, darn. <laughs> Why did I say that? <laughs> well, I, I think what's so fascinating about your dynamic and the team aspect, Evan and I were talking off offline, is the routine that you guys work on, refine, and ultimately just try to repeat 
so you can continue to win golf tournaments like you do. But for the listeners, right now, what is that, what we'll call a pre-shot routine, look like? And because we can all learn from this. And so we'd love, we'd love to hear you guys go into that. So, I mean, we get to a hole, you know, I'll check the card, that's her, uh, you know, if it's a short hole, I'll take a laser and measure it. And so we can talk about what club to hit. Then he picks up the clubs, makes a couple of swings, and then, he, you know, I have to line him up. So we already picked the target talking. So I line his feet up. Then, like he said, a couple of times, if he requires, I just go check the club, uh, club face to make sure it's square. And then I back up and say, you're good. He swings. And as, as soon as he hits the ball, I tell him, okay, well, it's online. It's, it's a little pull. It's a little push. Looking good. Or, yeah, we're going, to, you know, we're going toward the green. So I, you know, I do that. Like you said, I, you know, for chip shots, we have a different routine. I actually go in front of them after we decide, yeah, I think it should land the ball here. It's about that many yards. Then I go about five, six yards in front of them. He lines up and he said, okay, you can move. So I move away and he hits the shot. And then for putting, he walks from the ball to the, the hole through, you know, walking, you can feel whether it's downhill, side hill, whatever. In the meantime, I try to read the line. He comes back, he says, 13 feet. I think it's a little downhill. What do you think? So we talk about, well, I think you hit it, but, you know, 10 feet. Try 10 feet. Paces. 10 paces. Yeah, 10 paces. So he's got an idea of the speed. I line him up. He's got a good putter with a line on it. So it's easy for me to line him up from behind. I line him up. And I said, "When you, I think you're good. And then he hits the shot. And I'll, I'll chime in on top of that. He doesn't say, I think you're good. I, I won't let him get away with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so, but that's what we do in tournaments, right? Like I try to get him to like, and that's something that he's gotten really good at over time is that 2011 farmer's insurance open program experience. He doesn't say whether the fairways look tight or not, whether the greens look small or not. We don't do that. He doesn't say, I think anything. I, we remove think from the vocabulary. And this is all like, me teaching him and me communicating through this, but we never say hook or slice on the course. We don't say it. It, it drew, it drew a lot or it faded and it faded. And, and on, we won't even say a lot. A little too uh, much. Yeah. Faded too much. Okay. It drew a little too much. That's fine. Mm-hmm. We don't say way. I won't let him say way. Like it's not way long, way short, way left. Way There's no way. So all those things are completely cut out of the vocabulary because it doesn't do me any good. And we might say that to ourselves as individual golfers, but I think we could probably work on our internal talk if we remove that stuff because it just doesn't do any good. But yeah, we won't step into a shot without full commitment on a number and like an idea of what we're doing. So the chip shots, like you said, we'll say, okay, it's it's 23 yards of the pin. I want you to land at 15 yards and he'll stand in the direction. And if I feel like that's right, then okay, 15 yards it is. And we step into that. So it's just, complete commitment to what we've decided ahead of time. And then we go in completely committed. I accept it, but I'm in a tough spot because he hits a bad shot. And I said, oh, it's not too bad everything. And he ends up where the ball is like in the rough. He hates it. And then he said, well, I thought you said it was not that bad. And if I tell him, oh, no, you you know, it's it's too far in the rough. It's going to be a problem. Then he doesn't like it either. <laughs> so, He's got a lose-lose sometimes. Yeah, it's a lose-lose situation, but it's okay. I accept it. It's fun. What really was the disaster when you started versus now? It sounds like it was the combination of finding your routine, but also finding neutrality in your vocabulary and the language you choose so that you don't get too up, too down. 
Right. You know, on the first tournament, I probably say, oh, yeah, it's way right. <laughs> with, and with the giggle, too. It was way right with the giggle. And I'm like, you could probably remove the giggle and the way would be a little better, too, if you get rid of that. So in 13 plus years of doing this, we've refined it a lot. But it's um, I think I think I lived and died too much on every shot early on and realize now that and especially in blind golf, like, like in blind golf, you shoot mid 80s, low 80s, like you're you're a stellar blind golfer in tournaments. And, you know, it's OK. We made a double like whatever, let's just make a couple more pars coming in. Let's get on the par train. But I, I've kind of stopped living and dying on every single shot as much. And I think that kind of makes it easier for us. And I also give him some grace in that, like, okay, like, hey, I need to bite my tongue and know that if he said way or he made a mistake, I think I gave him a, a lot more of a harder time earlier on in our blind golfing career. Now we've had a lot more success. And at this point, it's like, hey, I think uh, I'm enjoying the success. I'm enjoying, you know, doing well in these tournaments with my dad, but I'm also going, Hey, as we're getting older, I'm more cherishing the experience with him. Yes. We want to win and we want to do well, but man, at the end of the day, like I'm, I'm in whatever country, whatever city, whatever state playing sure. golf, with my dad at a competitive level, like this is pretty darn cool. I just, I got just a quick follow up here. Go ahead. Just cause we were, that's another thing we were talking about. I wanted to get your guys thoughts. I feel like when I'm playing, if I did everything I could to prepare for that shot and I just don't execute it, I can accept that. But if I don't execute a shot because I didn't prepare, right? I, I got too greedy. I didn't check the wind. I wasn't, didn't look at my green book. That's hard to accept. And I'm sure you guys work so hard on your process and routine, but I imagine every now and then one of you maybe t feels like, Oh, I didn't ask the right question. Oh, I didn't mention this to Jerry. Like, how do you deal with that? Because it still happens even to the best players. We have those moments where we just, we weren't prepared, but I'm curious to hear you guys talk about it. For me, the worst part, I mean, I can tell when I made a mistake, it's like reading a line, you know, read the line of a putt and oh, you were wrong. And I tell him, said, oh no, I, I was off. Otherwise, I mean, every shot, usually on the fairway, on the tee, off the tee, we're pretty prepared. I mean, like you said, we've played a practice round. Sure. We wrote down which club to hit. So if he doesn't go like we plan to, it's maybe not execution was not that great. But as far as that, uh, we're pretty prepared. But on the greens, yeah, I have to read the line. I'm the one that's responsible for the line. And if I don't read the right line, then it's it's on me. And I yeah. think to add on to is, yeah, it's it's tough when maybe we have like a five footer for par and, you know, making those five footers for par feel like birdies at times because you're like, all right, this keeps the momentum of the round going. Sure. And, you know, I, I pace it. Okay. It's a five footer. Then we kind of dial in where do we want to put it, but then what kind of speed am I going to put on it? Right. Am I going to hit it hard back of the cup? Or am I going to drip it in? Cause he needs to know that based on the line and you know, he says, I think it's breaking just a little bit left. And then I put it with the speed we wanted, but I see it tail right. And he goes, I'm sorry, it actually went right. You know, I'm, I'm pretty livid at that point. So <laughs> I bark at him for a good minute. And I think early on, the thing is, is like, I'll get fiery for a minute and he would get fiery back. And I, I, I think I've kind of told him like, hey, I'm going to get on fire a little bit at times. Don't try to fight fire with fire. And also just give me a minute. Don't just respond. Let me, let me release. Let me cool yeah. off. Right. And it's, and what's the tough part is we're in the same cart. He's on my team. So he's taking it personally at times. And it's like, Hey, I'm just, 
I'm mad. I'm pissed. I'm mad. I'm going to just like be on fire for one minute and then I'm going to move on. If he tries to fight back or, you know, make, you know, Hey, I'm sorry. I saw it. This like, just stop. Don't do that. It's not going to help. What's done is done. I just need to be on fire for one minute. Okay. Let's go to the next hole, next shot and and move on. That's almost part of your, I know you want to jump in. Part of the post shot routine. Sometimes this is just how it's got to be. Right. Well, what did we just hear? What did we just hear from Rick Sessinghouse, sir? And at the PGA show, by the time people listen to this, it'll be two weeks ago. But the thing that we really talked about with him, Jeremy and Leo, was this idea of disappointment versus frustration and tolerating versus like ongoing anger and frustration. So like you can be disappointed, allow yourself to be disappointed, but ongoing frustration and resentment and we've all had it, right? That silence yeah. in the cart yeah. or with our partner, with a friend, with a, with someone in our group. Like everybody knows that feeling of that tension in that group. And I think the one thing we're trying to do in golf is to release tension, not add. Yeah. Right. So talk about maybe it sounds like to me, Jeremy, that's kind of what you're saying. You're learning to allow your disappointment to come out so that you can release it. You guys are staying more neutral and you're moving on to the next shot. Is that fair? Yeah, that's very fair. And you said, yeah, with our partner, with our friends, with our with our dad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's not no, as easy. Yeah, for sure. With our son. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. And no, I I just need to get. I need to release it. I'm. You know, we miss a, a short putt that we should make, and you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna should all over ourselves and say that we should have, could have, would have. But you right. gotta. Okay, we missed a shorty. Let's tap the next one in. I'm gonna I'm gonna release it for one minute i think he's done a lot better job of not taking it personally in those moments because i'm really not i'm not mad at him i'm just mad at what happened okay and then the best thing you can do is is move on and not compound the error because we have all done that where you miss the badge sh- the, the short putt you should have made and then you go tee off on the next one and blow it ob and you're like what the heck am i doing so i think we do a really good job of getting through the bad experience getting back to some sort of neutral and, and just like, okay, on to the next. I mean, sometimes it's tough, you know, it's, it's tough to swallow, but that's what you have to do as a caddy, you know, like, for example, you know, you were like 30 yards from the green, he chips it over and, and make a, another chip, but too long, long. And then we missed, missed the five footer. He's going to be all mad. Oh yeah. We made bogey because we missed the five footer. Uh, how about the wrong, <laughs> the wrong chip? I was that, you know, but no, he's mine. It's fine. You have to accept it. It's fine. It's part of the game. He's a, he's, He's got more pressure and it's harder because he has to swing. I just have to talk. So I yeah. figured, you know, he needs to release the pressure. Uh, and Leo, another thing, I don't know if it works for Jeremy, but humor, you got to know when to maybe throw that in and when not to throw that in or yeah, yeah. We, we, little communication tactics. Talk about that. For yeah, no, we, <laughs> we use little humor, but it's, it's pretty, you know, it's, it's pretty tense when it's like a final round of a championship oh, yeah. and everything. So, yeah, no, we're. I think if we're if we're you know riding a par train and, and then humor works then, but yeah. if I just come off a double bogey and he tries to crack a joke, I oh, might yeah. try to crack a skull. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we. Uh, I think yeah, there's a time and a place for humor. I think, but I, I I like to vent for that one minute and then I don't know. I try to be very business when I'm like right about to hit a shot, go through our process, hit the shot, and then we'll kind of maybe get into some humor stuff. But it's it's kind of it's really dependent on the situation, right? All right, guys, stay seated. This train's going to make a quick pit stop. Keep those seatbelts fast, and then we'll get the train right back on track. 
I've got something for you guys that I think you're going to absolutely love. I don't know about you. I've been talking to different friends and I realized it's pretty rare for people to have a go-to golf shoe. People have go-to equipment brands for their putters, their irons, their wedges, drivers, et cetera. But golf shoes, you kind of jump around a little bit. And I've been looking for a brand that I can stick with. And I was honestly a little bit surprised when I realized it and I tried it on. But now I'll never go back. Olakai Golf Shoes. They call it Aloha Golf. It's all about same thing, enjoying the ride, Aloha Golf, staying chill, staying happy, enjoying it all. But more importantly, it's the most comfortable golf shoe I've ever worn. You guys might know Olakai for the sandals and their regular footwear. I've got like the flattest feet in the world. I could never find sandals that fit my foot. The only sandal that's ever fit my foot are Olakai flip-flops. So I'm seeing so many people that wear Olakai for everyday stuff. When they hear they had a golf shoe, they ran straight to Olakai.com and got themselves these pairs. I personally love the white leather shoe. It's super classic. They've got gray, brown, et cetera. And they've also got these other styles that are kind of cool and unique. There's some brown leather mixed into some navy canvas, and it's a little bit more eclectic and kind of a trail outdoor feel. I have those two. And the heel, best part, the heel on all their golf shoes flap down, just like the regular footwear. Go to our show notes of this episode or go to our Instagram account at the part train. Tap the link in bio. You'll see an Olakai link in there. Tap that link because if you click that link, you will get free shipping on your order. Highly recommend this, guys. Remember, I tested them back in April and walked 36 holes at Bannon Dunes without breaking them in, and I had zero blisters. I've had shoes that are broken in that I've worn for months that gave me blisters at Bannon Dunes. These didn't. So tap that link in our show notes of this episode or go to our bio at The Par Train and get yourself the most comfortable golf shoes I've ever worn. All right, let's get back to the show. One thing I want to level set and make sure the listener heard was when you guys were living and dying on every shot and every result, I heard the word disaster get thrown out and everything you guys just went through as the alternative. Keep me honest on these numbers. Okay. You just won your ninth US BGA national championship and that's United States blind golf association and three-time world champ world blind golf champ. Is that correct? Yep. I just want people to hear that. It's not like you lost your sight and because you were a three or four handicap before you suddenly were like, hot on the scene of the blind golf world. It took time. You had to learn and figure out what worked for you. And it didn't start out pretty, but these things, <laughs> if they can work, if they can work for you, Jeremy, where you can't even see where your ball goes, think about how much this stuff could work for the average 12, 15 handicap. I just want people to, to really yeah. think about everything you just said, because that that process you just took us through has led to 12 plus championships across national and world All majors. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I've got, I've got the bones of golf blind guides, you know, like he's, I think if he were to be the guide for any other blind golfer out there, they would shave so shots off their game, but he's my dad and he's off limits. <laughs> <laughs> I'm under contract. He's under, he's under contract. Yeah. Parental. Contract. Yeah. I want to, I want to talk about putting a little bit and what you've learned both of you with going through this new routine, you know, in these last several years, a lot of times when I, so I, I grew, grew up playing, I played division one and I played competitive and, you know, always trying to find the right putting drills. 
And there was times when I was just, putt was going offline quick, usually because of tension, right hand too active. My coach would have me putt eyes closed for a while. Mm-hmm. And to free up your muscles, to free up your bone, to stop worrying about where the ball is going to go, right? Kind of line up, get your target, put it here, and then close your eyes. And I would find that I would just, my muscles would just get looser. Um, Jeremy, is that, did you have an experience in, the, in that when you've had to putt this way compared to how you used to putt? Just, just curious. Yeah. The first thing I would say is post sight loss, I feel like I'm a better putter because I pace everything off and I feel like I, I play with sighted amateur golfers all the time and we'll have a 40 footer the little plumb bob it behind their ball and then step in and putt it. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> why aren't you taking everything into account? And it's not going to add that much time, but I pace it off and I'll walk ball to hole and I'll feel 10 paces and go, okay, that's a 30 footer. And I feel like it's going a little uphill and I feel like it's going to go a little bit to the left and I'll, check in with him and just say all those things I just said. And he says, how about we play at 11 paces and I'm going to put it a foot right based on what I see. That's what I like. So all I have to focus on at that point is speed because I've got the two ball putter with a line on it. And my dad tells me based on what I put it, you know, he'll tell me if I set up, he'll say that's a little bit on the toe. So I'll step a little forward and he goes, okay, that's square. Then he'll say, go a little more right, a little more left. And then when we're good and on the a foot right spot that we agreed to, he says, you're good. At that point, like, my alignment is set. I don't need to worry about anything else. So I'll just kind of do the, you know, look towards the hole, come back to the putter. And once I'm back to the putter, I'm pretty much taking the club back. And I'm just trying to get that speed right. And we've had rounds where it's it's like dummy golf, where I'm just, we're making putts, anything inside 20 feet. We're making them or putting them really close. And sure. it's really fun because it's, it's almost like a video game. I'm just trying to get out of the way. He's got the line. I just stroke the speed and it's pretty fun when it gets dumb like that sometimes. Well, Leo, has it helped you? this approach to green reading helped your game too in, well, in, in some capacity? Yeah, because uh, I don't think I spent as much time before to read my own putts. So now, and then, then just reading more putts, more greens, you get a better idea. So yeah, I, I think it did. And I'll, I'll chime in too. I have a buddy who would line me up a lot and he would be a guy, he's a really good golfer and I love golfing with him. And when he and I play, anytime I have a 30 footer or in on the green and it's breaking a foot or less, he would always be like, oh, this is in your make range. And when he would say that, I'm like, how do you not stroke it well when someone says to you, like, this is in your make range? So we got a 25 footer that's breaking inside a foot. He's like, oh, this is your make range. Like, I would make at least one around because I've got so much confidence ahead of the putt. We forget to do that, Ev. Ev and I, we played on Friday. We were at the, down in Florida. We had a, both had a lot of long putts. And I think sometimes you're, we just get in this moment where, man, I just would love to two putt this. Just get this up there. Right. And like you said, wait a minute. It's not like some crazy downhill slider, you know, um, yeah. but finding that confidence. And sometimes you need somebody next to you to say that. Yeah. So, yeah. But <laughs> Parker, Parker McLaughlin, the short game chef, former PJ yeah. tour winner told us this on the yeah. show recently that and you hear a lot of good putters say this, and I think a lot of amateurs hear this and they think, well, that's because they're a good putter, but I actually think it can work both ways where he would get most excited approaching the green because you have the best ability to actually complete the hole, to make one. And so he yeah. felt like any putt he could make. And he actually went up with a lot of excited curiosity 
versus protection and dread and defensiveness. He was like, he was really excited to walk up there and try and, and hold one. And, you know, there's probably this balance too. I'm curious, Leo, your thoughts of like, sometimes people get in too much trouble with reading lines too much. But I think what I just learned this past week with Cermak is I think you have to find your balance in order to achieve that commitment and get enough information for what you need. Cause like what I mistake I've made recently is I've tried to be too carefree to try and release some tension. And I realized I was losing a lot of focus. So like for me, if I look back on my golfing life, those moments that I got the most intense over a shot were my best shots. Right. And so you got to find what helps you laser in, but what's that balance? I mean, can you guys overread? Do you ever experience that? No, we I, usually the good thing is because we talk about it when he comes back and he's been pacing all the way to the pin. He comes back and say, OK, well, I could feel a little break to the right. So we discuss it from what I saw and what he felt. And then we come to a conclusion. OK, let's go foot and a half left of the cup and play it like 10, 10 paces. So mm-hmm. the fact that we talk about it, I think you know, prohibits us from spending too much time, you know, looking on both sides. I do go most, most of the time I do go on the other side of the hole to look at the, you know, to confirm. And sometimes I'm not confident. I say, you know, I saw both sides. What did you feel? And then we talk about it. So we're, and yeah, I think we have a pretty good routine there. Yeah. And I think if we have like a 10 footer downhill and it's really fast, we'll also say, and it's, let's say it's a birdie putt. It's sometimes easy to get overzealous and say like, Oh, let's make this. But we'll also in a tournament say, hey, let's if we make it, that's that's a bonus. That's that's really the ultimate goal. But if we don't, we want to tap in par. And because that's when you're in a tournament, you you really want to minimize huge mistakes and three putting from 10 feet for a bogey. You're going to be fuming. So we kind of go into like, hey, if this goes in, awesome. But if it goes in, it's dripping speed. And and if it doesn't go in, we're just going to tap in par and feel just as good about it. Uh, and then just to add on to what you were saying, Evan, it's like, I, I heard this from a sports psychologist once, if you go into a putt and you ask yourself, like, will I make it? You kind of go, well, maybe, I don't know. But if you ask yourself, can I make it? The answer should always be yes. Yeah. Like if you, even if you have a 60 footer double breaker and it's undulated, if you say to yourself, can I make it? Like, yeah, there's, it might be a slim percentage, but if the answer is just yes or no, can I make it? The answer should always be yes when you have putter in hand. So yeah. by asking yourself, can I make it? You're presenting yourself with an affirmative, which kind of gives you a little bit more confidence as well. One last thing on the putting talk, but unless you have more of, and this is gets back to focus. I mean, there can be times, Jeremy, where you have a 20 footer, you got overzealous, you, you smoked it, right? And I, a lot, the best thing you can do in those moments is you know, as somebody with sight is to watch the ball and see how it's breaking past the hole. But typically we throw our hands up, we get mad. So do you have pops say, dad, I hope you stay watching it. Right. Because if it ends up seven or eight feet past, we at least have some familiarity. I I hope you make them work on the greens here. That's what I'm, what I'm saying. (laughs) No, but I I mean, it's a good thing about having me because he can be pissed off. (laughs) I'm still looking at the ball. So yeah, but I mean, that's really something we're trying to do is if you miss it, miss it, you know, leave it like a foot from the hole. Right. It's coming back with a right. six footer. We don't like that. Yeah. And, and it's kind of like, it's a weird thing. But for me, like if I hit a bad tee shot and it's 
fading too much and I get pissed off or if I hit a putt, like you said, and I get pissed off, I have to be conscious, even in the moment of being pissed off, that I don't step in his line of sight. Yeah. So he's able to see where the ball's going in the air or if what the putt is doing break wise, because I will think that if I rammed it and I'm pissed, I'll make sure that I'm stepping off to the left and away from my dad and kind of fuming so that I'm not stepping in front of my dad's line of sight to see what the break's doing. Because if I do that, it's a double whammy. I, I hit a bad putt. And then he goes, well, I miss what it's doing because you stepped in front of me. So I got to make sure I, I get out of his way. Yeah. I think this is so interesting because, you know, a lot of us are lucky to be able to see. And a lot of us are playing as our own caddy. Yeah. But I actually think today a big takeaway for me so far has been how can we ourselves play as if we have a Jeremy and Leo within ourselves, right? Like treated as, cause sermon, I, like you said, we just played and there was like night and day difference between shots. We talked out and shots. We did not And I know depending on your mental golf type vocalization, it's not always the best thing for whatever type of golfer you are, but in most cases, it'll at least help you get closer to what Dr. Bob Winters calls the no zone, like knowing what your plan is and, and again, committing. So I think this is really, I want people to, to maybe take a step back and think about that, that they may not relate to being blind and having a guide who's your dad, but the way that you guys communicate can be a way that we communicate with ourselves or with our friend in the cart. Absolutely. I think the important thing is when we, you know, when we do the pre pre uh, pre shot routine and everything. By the time he sets up to the ball, he's committed to one thing. He's got a line. He's got a club. You know, he, the the doubt is gone. I mean, it, that's one thing he has to do. As opposed to, I know when I play my ball, sometimes I have my club. I, I'm I'm not sure what I'm gonna do <laughs> before I hit the shot. So he's committed. He knows what he has to do, and uh, it's just a commitment to do it. And we've tried to work on that. And when we play together, he'll, he'll hit a shot and he goes, I wasn't committed to it. I'm like, well, why not? Like what, what was, what was the doubt? And he's like, I, I was between these two clubs. And I'm like, well, you know, and so I've been like, Hey, I'm in the cart and I'm like, what do you have? He's like 145 pin. Okay. Well, what is it to the center? Okay. What club do you want to hit here? Tell me, like, I want him to tell me. And then he mm-hmm. commits to it because that's, yeah, I'm fully committed to every single shot I hit in a, a tournament round. And if I, if I hit a bad shot, okay, I hit a bad, it's going to happen, but I, I don't want to, pull the trigger when I'm not committed because that's not going to do us any good. Um, But I think another thing to touch on is what you said earlier is, okay, you know, Leo is part Bob Rotella, part Steve Williams. But the big thing I think we took away too is he's not Butch Harmon. Mm, I don't want him to be my swing coach. We're not playing swing. Yeah. hundred percent. I'm, and I'm, I'm probably, that doesn't surprise you. I'm a field player. So I don't want, one bad shot on the third hole for him to go. Do you think you took it a little bit too far inside? No, do not do that. If I make multiple big misses, maybe in a row, if I present the question, we can talk about it. Sure. Early, early on in our blind golfing world uh, in our blind golfing career, it was like, Hey, I think you, you might've done this, which led to the push. Oh buddy, that did not help. (laughs) So yeah, we, he is not the swing coach, uh, that's for sure. We'll, we'll work on stuff, chipping and putting off right. the course, but sure. when it comes to swing stuff, I, I have a PGA professional helping me with that. What right. was, 
What was your guys' big takeaway? I know there's quite a story. I want to give the listeners a little look in in regards to your ninth win national championship. Um, I read that you were two shots back after day one. Didn't start off great on day two, mm-hmm. but you turned it on in the back nine shooting a two over 38 and you ended up winning by four. So talk us through the learnings. What wasn't going right the first couple days and what changed on the back nine? That switch. We got to dig in here. This is the best. Yeah. Um, so day one, we shot an 85, which honestly, I would take that as the first round for every national and worlds going forward. I would totally just take an 85 because it's day one and you just kind of see where you're standing at that point. And you're, you're not going to be really out of it after an 85 in most blind golf tournaments. So we shot 85 and there was another B2 golfer who shot 83. So, okay, we're two back. And honestly, in the eight other nationals we've won, we were probably leading after day one and probably by a lot. <laughs> and so, you know, we're sleeping on a 10 stroke lead after day one. And I think that's, you know, the nationals we won in, 2019 in Vegas, we shot a 78 day one and we had at least a 10 shot lead going into day two. So you, it's, it's very different. So it actually was kind of nice being two back. Um, sure. Cause I didn't, I wasn't sleeping on a lead. I was like this, no people might expect us to win, but there's someone else who right now is sleeping thinking they're going to win. So it was kind of nice. Um, so yeah, we were good. Yeah. That, that person that was two strokes ahead of us, we hadn't played with him. He was a new guy. So yeah. it was like, we had no idea. Is he going to play again like this tomorrow? Or And sure. and we kind of thought he wouldn't, but we'll, you know, who knows, but we're paired with him day two, which is what you want. We're two back playing with him. And I mean, the, I think the, I think the second hole we, yeah. we three putted for a double and he like miraculously chipped in for a birdie. And it's like, oh gosh, like that's, that's not what you want when you're trying to gain up on a guy. Um, but then, you know, you just, rather than compound it or you just go like, let's just keep going. We got a lot, it was a marathon, not a sprint. And there's a par five, we made par, he hit it in the water and made double or triple. So, okay. And after nine holes, I, and I didn't want to know every single hole, like how far back were we? I was like, after nine holes, just tell me what he did, what we did. And after nine holes, we shot 45, he shot 46. So, okay, we, we gained one on him and we're like, okay, let's, now we've got nine more holes and we got to get at least two shots to, to take over. And we, we parred 10, I think he made bogey or double and you guys would appreciate it. We went on a five hole par train oh, and love that. that was, that was, we loved it. We got into a zone. We got, we for sure, like. I didn't know it in the moment, but we totally got in a sense of flow for those five holes where it was fairways, greens, fairways, greens. We hit the first five greens in reg on that side. And then on the fifth hole on the back, so 14, it's a par three. And I hit the shot and my dad, this is like, I can't see it, but it's like the best feeling as a blind golfer. When you make pure contact, know you struck it well, feel like it's online. And then my dad's going, oh, that's tracking at the pin. That looks good. And I'm like, oh, come on. And it hits the green. My dad goes, go in, go in. I'm like, oh, are you serious right now? And so that that was yeah, awesome. I love, I love hearing that when I'm seeing it. I can't imagine how amazing it must feel when you can't see it. Oh, I'm just like, do it. I'm literally at that point just looking at my dad saying, do it. Just like say it's in because I will freaking lose my shit. I will go nuts. So yeah, we, we made those five straight pars. And I, honestly, at that point, that guy was gone in the sense that he made 
multiple bogeys and doubles in that five hole stretch. And then we went bogey par, bogey par to finish with the 38. But man, during that five hole stretch, that's really what got us from one back to you. We, we turned the burners on. Leo, so, what did go ahead, Leo? Yeah. Yeah. In Italy in a world championship, same kind of thing, but we weren't playing with our, like the nearest competitor, I don't think, but we, I think the first six holes, we were embarrassing to say, I think 10 over in the second round of a world championship. And we're like, okay, well, that's not good. But we made eight pars in a row from then on. And then I think shot like 84, but that was uh, same kind of thing. If you can get on a par train, like it just, it takes one to domino to hopefully another and another, but just like really, micro level it was just focusing on let's just hit this fairway let's just hit the screen because there is something powerful to when i have a 110 shot you know 110 yards par four and i and we put it on the green i don't care if it's 30 feet when i I will ditch my dad i take my putter and i will walk from there to the green and he drives up but there is like a a feeling of euphoria of like sick i did i checked like i did what i needed to do now let's get to this putt and focus on it. Try to drain it. If we don't, let's make a par and move on. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then I'll get you right back to the show. Guys, in case you didn't know, I don't talk about it that often. I do mental coaching in addition to the podcast. And I've had golfers from scratch all the way to 12s and above. And if you want to take your mental game from listening to this show to the next level, get one-on-one help. We'll put you on a plan, especially if you use mental golf type. I'm a certified coach with mental golf type. We can take your game to the next level. Go to thepartrain.com slash golf mental coaching or just email us at thepartrain at gmail.com. Give us a shout and we can have an introductory chat and figure out what you need to work on to get your game to the next level. Get off that struggle bus and get back on track. So thepartrain.com slash golf mental coaching. Give us a shout. Let's get your game to the next level. All right, let's get back to the show. I love listening to the par streaks, par train. And yeah. it's something about we're going to hit fairways and we're going center of the green, right? It's like, I mean, easier said than done, obviously. But when you do it and you do it consistently, it's these goals we can manage, right? Because yeah. they're simple. And I think that probably really helps free the both of you up. You know, limits the conversation. We just... This is what we're doing. Yeah. Do you guys find, because what we see a lot, we've we've all experienced it. We hear it from listeners and, and guests. And I think it's very easy at the start of a day, whether it's a tournament or not, especially tournaments, where you want to try to want your way to the finish line, meaning you want it so bad that you get a little tight, you're too focused on the results, and you start off, with a poor start. And then because Mm -hmm. the start was so poor, you go, well, that's kind of out of my reach. I kind of blew it. I'm just going to play now. And that's when you have eight straight pars, nine straight pars, even shoot under par because you've kind of let go of that. Was that true for you? Or what do you think actually changed? Were you getting caught up in the results? Were you getting ahead of yourself? You talked about focusing on each shot, but what was the alternative? What was that you did before versus the back nine? I think I was focused on the front nine as like what he was doing versus what I was doing. So when we made the double and he made birdie, I'm like, Oh gosh, like I just lost three on him. This is not helpful. 
But what's nice about blind golf is like, I know I'm going to be able to get back in this with him. He's not going to go on a par streak and and shoot, you know, even or under par from here on out. So I'm going to limit my mistakes and have him be the one who makes the mistakes. And when we got to the back nine, there was no part of me that said, we're going to shoot a 38. We're going to break 40. We're going to, I literally just for that, at least that five hole stretch, it was one shot at a time. And I know it's cliche, but it really was. And it was, we honestly, we had very minimal talk with each other, that whole stretch, no humor, no, it was just tell me the number. Let's confirm what it is. Let's commit to something. Let's hit the shot. Boom. We hit the green. I'm walking with a putter. All right. What are we hitting off this? See, we're hitting hybrid. You're aiming there. Let's go hit the shot. Boom. Let's go get in the cart next shot. And it was just rinse and repeat for that. At least that five hole stretch that uh, like you could, there were moments where I was like, you know, after the third part, I'm like, this is, this is nice. Let's not overthink it. Let's go to the next one and do it again. And after the fifth one, when he's saying go in, I'm like, Oh, like, this is really nice. Like I could tell I was in the middle of something, but I didn't want to overthink what it, what it all was. Cause we still had golf to play. Yeah. And Leo, you have to help him be assertive. Right. Oh yeah. <clears throat> no, I mean, yeah. Like you said, I mean, at the beginning, I would say, I think it's uh, like a foot, right. No, you gotta be, you know, I gotta give him a line. I'm sure about the line, even if it's wrong, this is what I see. He's committed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's no, yeah, questioning the line. I tell him to analyze in his head and then vocalize with confidence in the sense of like mm. early on, he would read putts and go, huh, this one looks uphill, looks like it could do this, could do that. I'm like, stop. Just like yeah. internalize all of that. And then when you come back to me, like, let's tell me what it's doing. Uh, because that's a lesson for all players. right? Yeah, there. yeah for sure. We, well, we do have to analyze it, right? Like you 100% have to analyze it, which is good, but you kind of got to take it from analyze mode to commitment mode. And I think a lot of us probably step into shots still analyzing. Yeah. Well, isn't it funny, Serm? It kind of reminds me of what we heard from Brian Cooper, the guy who's 50 years old that just finally got his PJ Tour Champions card after trying for 30 plus years. Okay. And he said he really had to dumb things down where mm -hmm. his caddy wasn't, give me this number. What is this number? Give me the number, mm. one number that we're right. hitting it to. I don't care if it's, don't tell me if it's flag or middle, you decide what we're going to hit and you yeah. tell me the number and I go. And that's actually very similar to what you just described, removing a lot of the, the extra stuff. It's actually our theme for the year is doing less like back to basics, back to basics. Yeah. Back Love to it. basics. It's, it's actually very similar to that. Let me ask you this. Cause I know we're almost at time, Leo. I was really curious. I hope to be a dad someday in the next couple years, God willing. And I'm sure, you know, I, from my friends and family that are parents, I know all you want to do is protect your child. You want your child to be happy and healthy and successful and a lot of times that can lead to, you know, ultra protection. And it's really hard to let go as a parent. I want to go back for a second to kind of close today out. And then we'll give you guys the floor before we leave. Um, was it tough for you when Jeremy got his diagnosis and probably the last thing you ever wanted to happen to your child happened? How hard was it to let go? and allow him to experience things, but also like be there for him 
and, and help him through that. That had to have been really tough on the family. And for all the dads and parents out there or someone who's going through something themselves, I kind of want to hear from both of you, but let's start with Leo of how you navigated that first as a parent. Well, <clears throat> it's definitely not something that you uh, want for your kids. It, it's devastating to hear that this is the way it's going to be the rest of his life. There's no cure. But after a while, you say, okay, well, I got to help him. I got to help him go through this. And, you know, he had, he had to go through the five stages of grief. So you have to help him at every stage. And, uh, you know, like my wife found blind golf. Uh, I took him to the ranch. I was trying to find anything to get him to, you know, to start a new life. And I think golf helped a lot because sure. when we went to the ranch the first time and he was, you know, hitting the ball pretty well and said, well, I can't do this. <laughs> and then finding a blind golf uh, tournaments gets him excited. Uh, so it, it really helped a lot. But it is definitely devastating to hear that your son is going to be blind the rest of his life. And double whammy, I found out my daughter three years ago, and you know, I had the same thing. So it's it's terrible, but you know, they get over it. He's very happy. He's got a little boy. He's expecting another baby. My daughter is going to get married next next year. So <clears throat> there is an after, you know, uh, life or whatever. But uh, it's yeah, it's terrible. But you got to help them through it. You know, it's it's really the support that you can give. That that you know you can. That that's the only thing you can do. Yeah. And, and Jeremy, as we kind of wrap up here, you've had so much great success and how do you, for, for the listeners, how do you stay motivated and continue to challenge yourself? I know you always want to play better and you all, and you want to win more, but how do you, how do you keep, keep that drive? I think that's important for, for everybody for you, because you, you play at such a high level for what you do, but you got to keep pushing. Yeah, I think it's the wise philosopher, Lil Wayne, who said the top gets higher the more that I climb. And <laughs> I think that's very yeah. true because you kind of, as much as we've yeah won nine nationals and three worlds, like I don't feel satiated, right? Like I don't, I feel it hasn't quenched my thirst and I feel like we can still get a lot better. There's so many things that like we just got, I just got down to single digits and we talked about that on the last pot and I'd like to go even lower, but there's like little aspects of my game that could become better. That would get me to even lower my index more, but there's, there's markers that, you know, there's a, I'd like to break a certain score in a tournament that we haven't done yet. There's, there's things like that. And even when we eclipse that, then the score is going to go, then we'll have a new goal. But I mean, when we want to win these tournaments and yeah, we're a B2. So we want to win those but there's B3s who have better sight than us. And we go into all these national championships thinking like, we want to be the low gross champion. Like there is no low gross champion. They don't give you a trophy for that, but we want to shoot better than even the B3s who see better than me. So the first round when I shot 85, when we shot 85, there was a guy who's a B3, he shot 82. He beat us by three. So we're like, okay, well, we might be two back of the guy who's a B2, but we're three back of a guy who sees better than us. So that's kind of our mentality and mindset is like, there's always room for improvement. And that's why we love this game of golf is there's, there's no perfect. You you can be a Jim Furyk shoot a 58 and go, could have been a little lower. <laughs> yeah. What has been the most enjoyable thing? Because I think a lot of people listening think, well, 
once I become a nine, once I get to single digit, I'll finally be satisfied. And we've said, and there's been a lot of controversial comments when I post stuff like this, because people are like, yeah, but you're telling us to not strive for more. And that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying if your markers are your only measure for happiness, you're never going to be satisfied because once you achieve it, you're going to want to achieve lower or the next thing or do it more. So what you've done, you've won 12 championships and you're, you just talked about not being satiated. So maybe this is a great place to end. What would you say to the person that thinks these achievements or these numbers are going to make them happy? And what has made you happy instead of those things or in addition to? Yeah. I mean, winning the trophies and winning the tournaments is, is, is awesome, but more, more fun than any of that is sharing it with pops. Um, like to what's, I mean, I think I've got it better than a pro golfer because, you know, Jordan Spieth wins a tournament and when they go interview him, Michael Greller's off to the side, taking uh, the flag out. Mm. Like my dad and I accept trophies together. I'm not a champion. My dad and I are champions together. And had I not lost my sight, I wouldn't be able to experience these incredible moments. So, you know, it's been 13 and a half years since I lost my sight and it was a devastating experience, but 13 and a half years later, you go, Hey, Jeremy, you want your sight back? No, I'm good. Mm. I don't. And I wouldn't take it back because this blind golfing journey and career and path we've been on, it's like, man, how cool is that? Like we've played on four different continents together as a blind golfing team. So you give me my sight back, I lose my my buddy in blind golf. Um, yeah. I still get to beat him on the course and chirp at him, but it's not the <laughs> same because we don't get to play in these tournaments together as a team. So um, it's it's way more meaningful and enjoyable sharing the experience with him because when we make the final putt on the last screen and know that we won a championship and we take our hats off and hug each other, it's like, dude, we did it together. And that's that's way more powerful and meaningful than whatever the hell the score is. It's pretty cool, right? That it seems like in most cases, the thing that we go through that's most painful leads to a thing we couldn't even imagine. hundred percent. And I think that's a good reminder for everybody. Um, Go ahead, sir. No, I was just saying, Leo, any, any final thoughts or want to chirp for a second here? (laughs) Like you said, you know, blind golf is a team sport and uh, it's, it's a blessing to be, you know, going to all those tournaments and winning them together, it's it's been great. I mean, it's it definitely uh, makes up for the uh, bad news 13 years ago. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. For sure. Well, great perspective. this was great. I'm sure a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this. At Jeremy Points to Know on Instagram, that is P-O-I-N-C-E-N-O-T. And JeremyPointsToKnow.com. I know you do a lot of great speaking and things, so definitely check them out. And we are doing more on YouTube, and I think it would be an interesting and a fun day. Oh, yeah. I drove down the five and came out and tried to see what it's like to play blind golf together. So maybe we should arrange that on the side so that I can gain even more learnings for our listeners and viewers and followers there and get to see you guys in person. So great content. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, we'd love to have you out as a guest. You can put some goggles on and you can deal with Leo for a whole or two. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Well, see guys, what, see thanks. what it's really like inside the Yeah, world. exactly. Right? Yeah, thank thank you guys. Thank you guys as always for hopping yeah. aboard. We'd love to do it again. Thank you. Sure. Thanks. Take care, guys. 
Hey guys, this is Evan. Real quick before you hop off the train, I got something for you. It's called The Train of Thought. It's our new email newsletter. Would you like to get one nugget, insight, or thought that we're pondering every week that could help keep you sharp and help your mental game? Go to thepartrain.com and subscribe to The Train of Thought newsletter today. It's really the best way to enjoy the ride. See you guys.